following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Everybody, welcome to another session here at the Kick Pod Dojo. I am your host, Slash Sensei TJ Williams, giving you the insider of my martial arts journey, discussing and analyzing certain martial arts based subjects, and highlighting martial artists of all martial arts styles all around the world, past, present, and future. All right, so of course, we're into the new year, and it's wonderful. This is my second episode of the new year, and of course, um, it's been so wonderful so far. I mean, we get snow over where i'm at but i don't know where everybody else's um weather is um i don't know it could be sunny it could be windy but you know we get snow but at least it's not bad All right. okay today's guest um is coming from uh aurora ontario canada of course he's the owner operator at shallon martial arts canada may i introduce everybody to tim wakefield how are we doing i'm in tofu right doing good Oh, wonderful. All right. So how is it over in Canada? Uh, much the same as you. We're not that far apart. So it's cold, snow. Like, you know, I think it's minus 17 first and Celsius. Celsius is very important to m- mention that. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it's cold. <laughs> yeah. I, I prefer going down south where it's hot. I get more energy. Mm. All right. Understood. All right. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to get in that little time machine. All right. So um, I kind of like the like the back to the future type um, time machine, um, DeLorean, uh, basically um, a flux capacitor, 88 miles per hour uh, going in, going, yeah, going straight to the pass. All right. So I'm basically going to do the driving, but you're going to give the directions. All right. All right. So of course, the first question I usually ask guests is um, describe yourself before martial arts. Describe, sorry. I describe yourself um, how you were before martial oh, arts. Before martial arts. Um, well, I, I was young. I mean, I started martial arts when I was about 10 and a half going 11. And mm. uh, at the time, I was raised by uh, you know artists, right? My parents are artists, right? Uh, mm. Freelance cartoonists and whatnot. And uh, so we, you know, we weren't exactly the most affluent family. And uh, But I was raised in an artistic environment. So everything was about being creative and drawing. And I was an aspiring cartoonist myself. My oh. goal was to be uh, you know, the next Jim Davis, basically. <laughs> um, you know, and I've met Jim Davis. I have actually a copy here of his first printing of the first book of Garfield signed by him. Oh, right. my. Um, yeah, it's right on the shelf over there. And, uh, you know, he, you know, that was a big inspiration for me. It was comic strip artists, you know, Heathcliff, you know, Marmaduke, Hagar, the Horrible, you know, Animal Crackers, right? Mother Goose and Grimm, you name a cartoon. And I was very interested in style. And eventually I developed my own little style, which I, um, I call it Larsonism, Larson. right? Larsonism, because, you know, Gary Larson, the guy who does Farside, right? Has just yeah. a complete, absolute wit about him. Uh, so I developed a style based on that. And I thought, what a great name, Larsonism. You know, it has so many different twisted meanings you could draw from it. So that's where I, I, I started off with that. And because of that, creative life, uh, you know, minded people didn't fit very well in the school system. So naturally you're, you know, it's like painting a big target on your back. Hey, kick me, mm-hmm. right? And many people took that opportunity to do so. So School for me was not a very um, fun place to be, right? You know, as kind of the, always the odd one out. Right? I got beat up a lot. And uh, yeah, so, you know, in order to outrun the problems, right, my parents would change schools for me every two years. It didn't help that the school system decided to put me in a special ed program, which was a pilot project back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so, you know, that just exacerbated the reputation thing even more. And keep in mind that in Ontario, but, um, special ed back then wasn't, you know, uh, specialized education for people who were slow learners. It was basically the place, you know, the person or even a place where you take those who are hyper achievers that's where you stick your problem kids right the ones you don't know what to do with and just throw them over there so if you weren't a troublemaker going in you certainly were going to become one coming out 
right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I got thrown in with these uh, characters and, uh, you know, it, it kind of just kind of, you know, your name now became retarded loser for the next one. No one knew who you were. You're just retarded loser class, right? And so that you know, carried on up to about grade seven when some kid came and decided that he didn't like the loser kid getting better marks than him in his English class. So he went on a nice little, um, you know, precursor to MMA and, you know, on me from the front of the room to the back of the room into the closet, you know, boom, 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 four teachers to pull them off me. And I said, that's it. I need to do something. Right. So I knew my dad was in the U S Navy, uh, back in you know, the non period. He didn't actually deploy over there, but, uh, it, you know, he was part of it. And so I said, well, they must've taught you some hand to hand stuff. And he goes, no, we only learned how to shoot things 20 miles away with a cannon. It's like, okay, makes sense. You're on a boat. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, but, and being, of the hippie generation, neither one of my parents were terribly interested in me learning anything about fighting. All right. Um, so, you know, when I proposed the idea of going to martial arts, they went, nah, you're not doing that. Turn another cheek. I said, yeah, they did. See, there's the bruise. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So eventually I found a way to trick my parents into getting me into martial arts. See, they're very fastidious when it comes to timing. Right. If they will never be late for an appointment. So I, I arranged a, you know, an orientation lesson with, uh, you know, one of the places in town, you know, after the beating and, uh, you know, I, I basically told my parents about the point 15 minutes beforehand and my go, Oh my God, we have to go. So we went, the instructor knew my case and he sort of advocated for me and got me into the program. So that was Fred Velarde Studios self-defense back then only three years after it opened in, or maybe it was only two years after it opened in Ontario. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. everything you're saying is pretty much, well, pretty much how my life is. I mean, I was, um, of course, um, you say the slow kind of kid, but, you know, I was creative too, but, you know, it's, it seems like I didn't know how to use it properly, but, you know, I, no, I could have like changed all that. I mean, I'm just thinking that going back to the past, changing all that, and then being how I am today, it's like having the confidence to be like what I want to be. I mean, that's, pretty much how I got into martial arts. I mean, that kind of pretty much broke me out of my, um, my, um, should I say my ADHD? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so, I mean, so, that's one. Yeah. Well, I mean, what, uh, you know, but it's after about a year of doing the martial arts, I got faced by the bully again. Oh, right? boy. He, he tried to attack me a second time. Uh, didn't work out so well from that time. Right. <laughs> I, you know, I had some other ideas I expressed upon him. Um, and, uh, you know, it was actually, I was smart about it though. Right. Um, we had this thing called elective programs, right, in the in the school system, where uh, for a period of a month, on the last Friday of every month, you know, half a school day, you got bussed off to some activity you signed up for, and you could spend the rest of your school day doing that, right? So, of course, I, my teacher was offering classes for students I signed up for, and he says to me, Tim, you can't come. Yeah, right? This is for me to get new students. I went, yeah, but see that guy fifth down the list? Yeah, that's the reason why I'm here. And he goes, ah come on in. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I, I kind of did this first smartest thing about this is I chose the battlefield. Okay. Right. right? And so he, and, you know, this, uh, the bully, he can't, you know, he, um, you know, I'll just call him Jay for short. I don't want to give his name. So yeah, uh, yeah, Jay comes to me and he says, uh, you know, oh, I see you're signing up for this class. So I'm going to beat the crap out of you. Ha ha. You think you'll learn more than me? It's like, yeah. Okay. And at this point, no one knew I was into this. Right. <laughs> So, you know, we get there and he, you know, his dad worked for Coca-Cola. So, you know, uh, Jay brings out his big red Coke outfit and wears, you know, tracksuit and all. And I reach in and pull out my black gi with the patches all over it and oh. you know, the, pur the purple belt. And he goes, oh, my God, you go here? I said, yeah. All right. So next thing we're paired with each other. And you know, my uh, Shifu at the time said, you guys are pairing with each other. Oh. So, <laughs> so, you know, we were doing this thing called combination number three, which is anyone does Kempo knows what I'm talking about, at least, you know, East, uh, East Coast Kempo. All right. And, uh, and, you know, so I went to do it on him. And, of course, it wasn't working. Right. And he goes, yeah. He was resisting. So I went back to my teacher room. It's not working. And, and Master, Chong, Master Chong looks at me and goes, Tim, are you doing combination three? I went, yes. He goes, no, no, no. Are you doing combination three? Don't come back to me until you've done combination three. Okay. 
did I just get permission? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and so I let him have it, you know, and he got combination three. All right. And, uh, he didn't like it. He got up, chased me around next, you know, I mean, kind of freestyle mode, just warding him off and kicking him and going like, Hey, wait a minute. I'm actually surviving this. I'm winning. So that was an inspirational turn of moment because, you know, this is where the baseline of people's confidence. I was down here. Huh. Right. After that day, I was up here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going like, wait a minute. There's, you know, and so the thought struck me like, okay, how much more can I learn about this? All right. Mm -hmm. So I learned a lot more. I stuck around a long time. Right. And, uh, I did as much training as I possibly could. And eventually got to the point. It's like, well, if I could learn to teach someone else how to do this, right. And make them feel this power, this, you know, this confidence and the, you know, the not, you know, the need to not be afraid of stuff, then, you know, I will have done something good, right? So just teach one other person like that. Well, it ended up turning into a career that would have helped thousands. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's oh, kind so, of how it started. Yeah, so definitely what you said, um, combination three, that's not like what we do in um, Chuck Norris' system. We call it one step. So somebody throws a punch, mm. and, of course, we have to do these combinations. And... Uh, yeah, combinations are a pre-scripted concept and principle to attack and defense. Uh, that's my son. Um, they are, um, you know, there's, there's 108 of them all together, right? Uh, mm -hmm. it, you know, you have uh, each one represents a different way of getting around the, the straight front punch, right? Now, right. they can be adapted from the front punch to other things. You can start changing it to weapon attacks, to backfists, to even, a, you know, various types of kicks. But the baseline is off the front punch because the theory is that the straight punch is probably one of the hardest ones to deal with just because it's a straight line and it's fast yeah right so if you can get around that then figuring out most other things will be easier from that point so uh, each combination has its own idea some of them are combinations of, uh, based on animal uh, the, the chinese animals some of them are based off of uh, just you know uh, dynamics right you know in physics and things like that uh where you're, you're trying to figure out you know, sometimes like geometry even right just figure out the right angle right position where the balance is or isn't you know it's, uh, it's a lot of different things right and some of those combinations are actually paired with each other right mm -hmm. so yeah awesome i mean when i started training of course we call we used to call them spot fights but mm -hmm. of course we changed the terminology we call them one steps it seems like that makes yep. more sense somebody just sure. stepping forward throwing a punch I mean, we were from just learning like basics that we yeah. went on to doing our own and then went to going to rabbit fire, which is um, we just react to the punch. So that's uh, Japanese martial arts work the same way where they have, you know, one step to five uh, or five step kumite. Right. And then they have randori, which is freestyle. You know, yeah, right. You know, judo has randori, ninjutsu. I also did ninjutsu for a long time. I was with the Bujinkan for probably about what, between 16, 18 years, right? So, and then of course you are you you approach your but you after you deal with your bully, and of course you're doing all these wonderful things, and of course um. You went on to um, go on to your black belt tests, right? Or what's well, your stuff? Not right away. Okay. No, no, no. I, I had to, uh, uh, you know, so I, because I, I was paying for all this stuff myself, right? You know, my parents didn't have the money for this. I paid for everything out of paper routes, of, you know, odd, you know, jobs I held over the summer, things like that. Uh, even working in the dojo, right? You know, so a lot of, there were times when I had, it was flush enough to pay for the year's membership myself. And then other times I had to piecemeal it, right? Yeah. Um, but I did as much as I could. So um, I got to the black belt test and I was about 17 and I was unable to pay for the test. Right. And I, you know, I just, now my teacher didn't tell me at the time because I didn't ask, right. I was being young and shy. Right. And I said, you know, cause I didn't want to go and say, well, geez, you know, uh, I cannot afford to pay you. Right. And uh, you know, he would have been nice about it, I'm sure. But uh, it, it, it's just, I didn't want to get into that situation. I didn't want to put him in a situation. I didn't know that he would be accommodating. I thought, you know, he would just say, nope, sorry, if you have the test fee, you can't go, right? Because that's what everyone else would have done, right? So I just assumed that. So I just didn't go, yeah. right? So I switched gears. I went five years, uh, you know, straight training with the ninjutsu, right? You know, that was my first five years in ninjutsu right after that. And I'd just come back and train once a month in the Kempo, all right? But there was also another reason to it, too. You know, when I look at the Kempo forms, 
right? I thought I had an understanding of things. Then I go to ninjutsu where they don't really have structured forms. They have a series of techniques. Like most Japanese uh, traditional styles, they don't have long-winded forms like the Okinawans did. You know, everyone has to remember the uh, Japanese adopted the Okinawan stuff in the early part of the 20th century, right? Uh, before that, a kata was basically no more than, say, three to ten moves on a single guy, right? And it was basically a technique, right? Yep. And you drop guy down. You know, everything is a kata, kasasaka kata, hichino kata, things like that, right? These were, you know, just, two, you know, for all intents and purposes, they were combinations like that we taught in the in the, the Kempo system. So, you know, and they said, well, we don't practice long-winded forms because this is a fighting style, right? And uh, I went, oh, okay. So it threw a confusion in my head. Well, why the hell do we practice the forms, right? What are the purpose yeah. of the forms? And then, you know, a lot of other questions started popping up. So it became an, um, a, also like a quest to figure out, A, why do every martial art seems to think that they're better than the other martial art? B, why are these techniques preferred over other techniques? And C, what, are, what is the whole point of practicing katas versus, say, you know, two-man techniques and so on? And when you're 18, 19 years old, right, you know, uh, you don't really have the answers to all this stuff, right? So, and the teachers I found sometimes had either very questionable or very mystical answers to these things, given the fact that we're talking like mid-80s and we haven't quite gotten to the information age yet where everybody was sharing everything. So anyone could say anything, and, you know, well, I guess that's true, I suppose, <laughs> right? So I just went on this quest to go find this stuff, right? And that's where, through Ninja, so I started training different systems. I went around visiting different masters in Toronto with my buddy. And, uh, you know, I don't, at, at that time, I don't think there was a single master in, this, in the city of Toronto that we didn't know firsthand basis of. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so you know, we ran around every everywhere right you know so yeah some places were good some places were okay well let's put a big x on that one yeah. um <laughs> you know, so uh you know i actually saw one guy you know he literally cooking uh, teaching out of a book oh you know? yeah it's like it's like you know we're sitting at the desk and he's looking over his class doing his stuff and he goes hold on a second okay guys we're doing this <laughs> <laughs> you know okay fair enough you know he goes to teach he'll go like oh i know that book <laughs> so right um yeah so yeah but we went on this big journey we answered all those questions and it wasn't until probably about 94 right um you know when i started doing uh musujiken yaido right and through yai right it was a unique experience because they have kata and they were short, like the two, uh, like the two-person kata that you do in ninjutsu or jujutsu or judo, right? Um, you know, but there was no opponent, just like the long-winded forms, right? Because you're using a live blade most of the time, so you know, you really can't have an opponent. So the opponent becomes more introspective. It's about you, right? It's like oh, right. And through yai, I began to understand why forms are practiced, how they should be practiced, the mindset behind them. So then I took that knowledge and went back to the Kempo and I reworked all the forms again with this idea in mind and went, got it, right? And from there, I was able to film, uh, form a stronger basis in training. And it was around uh, just after I got married uh, in 95, right? Um, and I was kind of living a rather transient lifestyle at the time, but uh, I got married in 95 in May. So I got, let's see, May 21st, I got the black belt. May 27th, I got married. And then June 15th, I opened my school. Mm. So I went from being this kind of guy who was roaming the streets with no, uh, not a penny to his name, scrambling and scr struggling to learn the martial arts, and then to and suddenly I'm opening a school. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's. That's yeah. just definitely an interesting story. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. The wife played a large hand that she had all the money back then. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of like see myself doing that. Of course, um, you know, out of 25 years I've been to martial arts, you know, I was all about just trying to be um, a tough guy. Like, you know, if I, I was picked on a lot, you know, but, you know, it's just it wasn't worth um, trying to be like that spoolie that picked on you, you know. I'm. Uh, I was like, yeah, getting the knowledge of martial arts, doing katas, really understanding what true martial arts is. Mm -hmm. So this is the thing I teach teach my students. Also, you know, just I teach them that the things that we do today, like fighting, we um we it comes from the things that happened years ago. It's like I'm giving them a life history history lesson, pretty much of why we have to have katas, mm -hmm. and, and understand that it's mostly your muscles that you're using for katas. And then, of course, that will develop your skill for everything else, like sparring or even one steps. Mm -hmm. 
and even everything else. Uh, more so than that, you know, the, yeah. uh, there are many layers to uh, whether you call them Talu or Kata or Pumse or Teguk or whatever name you associate with them. Uh, you know, uh, it, there is the fighting, uh, fighting element for sure, right? There yeah. is the fighting spirit element, which is not to be confused with the fighting itself, right? Um, there's the internal aspects. Uh, with every form in Chinese martial arts, you have something called the six harmonies, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the you know, so the Liuha. Right, Lioha is you know a balance between three external, three internal harmonies, and anyone who does uh, qigong or tai chi or any kind of Chinese martial art will know instantly what I'm talking about here. Um, you know, but the first three external ones basically has to do with relationships and positioning. Relation, this is your physical and express uh, outward expression of the martial art. So relationship between hand and foot, right, knee and elbow, and waist and shoulder, right, also ties into the three power centers: legs, waist, shoulders, right. Um, also, you know, in alignment where hands tend to line up with feet, elbows with knees, and waist with shoulders, right, in various stances. That way you don't overextend or under or contract, right, your uh, your movements. There's always some kind of a balance in what you do, right? The internal aspect is going from the desire, right, the wish, right, to the intent, to the expression, right? And this is the internal side that I feel that, you know, you know when I watch a lot of martial arts practitioners today, uh, you know, not everyone, but a lot of them these days tend to ignore or overlook that particular part of it. They kind of skim the surface of it, but they don't dig into it, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's, I think, something that's missing from the culture of modern martial arts in a lot of respects, right? Many of the old teachers still do this stuff. A lot of the new teachers may not be as well-versed in it, um, but I also conversely know quite a few new teacher, newer instructors who have been well-versed in it. So, you know, kind of Make sure you, if you know, you're looking for a school, look for, you know, it, you may not know to look for this right away, but, you know, that's something to keep in mind for down the road. Uh, you know, when you're trying to figure out where to take your training next, find someone that understands this concept. If they understand it, perfect, you're in the right place. Um, there's also the idea that the original forms, or at least, you know, one of the earlier, or earliest variations of organized forms that uh, in Chinese martial arts, um, where it started as meditations, right? The whole point, uh, when you talk about Shaolin Gong Fu, a lot of uh, the Shaolin expressions of the forms were not meant for, initially for combat, even though they are derived from combat, right? They were actually, uh, you know, meant to, you know, be meditations where, you know, you're sitting in the, you know, the lotus position doing your chants, you know, to Buddha, right, for hours, Right. They have some festivals where you're sitting there for like eight to 12 hours a day doing this stuff. Right. Oof. And what happens to your body? Right. The body starts to atrophy a little bit. It gets stiff. It gets tired. Your muscles start to ache. The bones start getting compressed. And, you know, you need to get, you need to move around. It's like, you know, everyone knows what it's like when they sit in an office chair for too long and suddenly have to get up and go somewhere. It's like, oh, yeah. right. <laughs> right. Well, imagine you're sitting like this for hours, hours. Right. You know, and yes, it builds great discipline. Yes. It, you know, it builds strength in certain areas, but then you're weakening other areas. So when uh, Buddha Dharma shows up in the temple, right, bringing all his knowledge of yoga and other things with him through his travels, right, he actually came up with a, a, an idea where that uh, – and keep in mind, he's also bringing the concept of Zen to China from India. Zen is the practice of Buddhism in every moment of your life, right? When you're doing just plain Buddhism, okay, it's, you, know, you can sit there and meditate, and that's when you're doing Buddhism. When you walk away, you can actually kind of let that go a little bit, then come back to it later. Right, the idea of Zen. Hold on a second. Yes, I know. I'll be there in a minute. Okay, so sorry about that. Um, so you know, the idea of the um, you know, Zen is that you're always practicing it. Right, you're, uh, this is an even higher discipline because you know, even when you're in your everyday life, everything you do is about being in that moment and always expressing your teachings in that moment. Right. So, uh, you know, he took the same idea and put it into the martial art where, okay, you're doing your meditation. Now you need to get up and move around. But it doesn't mean you have to leave that meditative state just because you get up, you're moving around. Here's a set of movements that unify mind, body and action that will keep you that Zen mind while you're moving around. And then you come back to it and you haven't lost that energy. Okay. You see, right? So you can, you know, you know, this way your main, then what the end result is that you start transferring that into everything you do, right? It's not just in when you're doing the Kung Fu, every part of your life is Kung Fu, right? Kung Fu just means skill, right? You know, right? So when you're doing that in every aspect of your life, and then of course I hit that in Yai, right? Uh, when I started doing Yaido, right? They were talking about that a lot too, because everything is, you know, perfection in the moment, the exact feeling, boom, 
you know, just keep your mind in that zone every single time, right? Just keep it fluid. Don't stop on any one thing, right? You know, just keep going. You did it right this time. Good. You know, shelve that, move to the next one. Boom. Good. That's perfect. That moment. Good. Okay. This movement right here. Bang. Okay. That's good for that moment. Oh, this one's so great. Fine. Shelve that, right? You're always in the moment, right? Never stopping, yeah. right? Always seeking that uh, gradual progression, you know, ups and downs, but progression, you know, so that's the Zen mind is to keep that discipline going all the time. Yeah. So that's that's really, you know, I th in my understanding to date is the highest level of doing any kind of form. You know, <laughs> right? You, you know, everyone starts with the fighting. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but this stuff takes many more years to get yourself to the maturity that where you can actually appreciate it, right? Yeah. And to do so, now here's the trick: to do so without falling overtly into the art side, right? So that you become too artistic and you lose the fighting element of it, right? I've seen that happen too, where guys become too Zen and then they lose contact with what made that form work in the first place, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you have to be able to maintain the combat effectiveness, right? You have to maintain the muscle and body control. You have to maintain the mental and spiritual discipline at the same time, um, <laughs> which, is the, which is the benefit of form. So whenever I hear some of these guys in the, you know, the, what, you know, I guess what we would call the more um, functional fighting areas and stuff and the, you know, the modern martial arts arenas and they say, oh, forms are worth garbage. Well, that just tells me you're not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're good where you are now. That's fine. We just, you're not there yet. <laughs> you know? Yep. So basically with this, it's like, it seems like you are more controlled with your techniques when you're meditating. Well, I mean, it's, a, you know, it's when you are, you know, when you are unified in your intent, your action, and your expression, and so on, right? Um, you know, everything happens as it needs to happen, right? You know, imagine when you're trying to tell a joke, but you're not comfortable with it, right? Yeah. And, you know, the punchline seems eh, you know, and, you know, your delivery is eh, right? But if you can, if you tell that joke like it's natural and it comes off you in the moment, and it just kind of, you know, you know, when you're in that situation and someone says something, and then you come up with a great joke and you just got bang, you put it out there and it's in that moment and everything feels right and everyone gets it and they're laughing, right? That's the energy we're trying to capture all the time. Yeah. You know, be in the moment. Yeah, it kind of sounds like what I do sometimes. You know, I kind of like try to say an ironic joke and then just somebody gets it you usually when i say i don't always say happy birthday i say like happy season premiere it's like <laughs> yeah see right there, yeah, yeah. there it's go. like you it's, it's like you don't almost like you don't know what i'm saying but you say it's yeah. you get it when i when i say it happy season premiere it's like it's your birthday yeah, George George Carlin was very good at this kind of thing. I, I've always admired him as a comedian for that. Right? You know, yeah. how are you doing? I am not unwell, thank you. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. So when you tested for black belt, I mean, was mm -hmm. it mostly endurance, or it's just you going over the forms? First Dan is always an endurance test, no matter uh -huh. what. Right? Uh, no matter where I've been, I've seen it's all, mostly been an endurance test. Some places tend to focus a little too much on the endurance, not enough on the content. But this was very well balanced. I liked my test. All right. Um, you know, it was ten people. Right, and none of us had. No, sorry, it was eleven people. Right, and not uh, one of us had less than nine or ten years' experience going on the floor. So this was a serious crowd. Mm -hmm. Right, and we hammered the hell out of each other. It was fun. Uh. <laughs> yeah, you know, but all first hand tests in the campo systems that I've been in, uh, you know, have always been about, um, you know, just pushing people to the edge of their limits, right, and seeing if they're not going to quit, right. You know, you get to that point where the person about to say I'm done, and then they say, yeah, no, I got that little extra more. That's really the crux of the test, right there. You know, some of the tests I had hazing rituals and stuff in them. I've seen right. That doesn't really do anything. It doesn't teach humility or anything. It's you know that's more ego based, right? But the ones that really kind of push a person's decision making paradigm you know, in a safe way, um, you know, to going like, geez, I don't think I can do this. To you know what, I've got a little bit extra. I'm going to throw it in there and see, you know, and just kind of push that little extra mile. Those are the good ones. I like those tests. Yeah, yeah. I kind of saw like my last test, my fourth degree test. You know, mm. I, had to, I had to travel to um, Boston. Of course, that's what our organization is. If you're going for a second hire, you travel to another uh, um, school or dojo. 
And for me, I went to Boston. I was going for my fourth degree and I was testing with two other people that was going for third. And yet uh, I get the worst of it because I was going for the higher rank. And it was like the last physical test I had to do. And, you know, it was like they were just pushing me. And even there was and stuff that wasn't even on the test. And, you know, I was just saying, like, I was just going for it, you know, because I was just showing them that I still got that. Um, I still got that um, heart or I have that energy. And, you know, I was like tired. I was like almost feel like I'm going to toss my grits. But <laughs> yeah, I, I stuck with it. It's like, say, this is what I need to do. I want to get this. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. The tests do get harder. The, uh, you know, I, you know, the the higher tests than I did for like six, seven, eight, nine, right, were different uh, because the emphasis actually became a lot more like traditional Japanese martial arts that I've done, where, um, you know, and I think this is a harder test. You stand in front of your panel, and they say, "You've got five, ten minutes to prove to us why you belong in this rank." Go. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, Oh, okay. Well, all right. Here we go. <laughs> you know, whether it be forms or, or, or self-defense training or theory or concepts or all of it, right? You have five, ten minutes, you know, uh, to do everything. Now, when I went from my nine dan uh, in the campo with the IKCG, I originally did not really know what I was going to be testing, right? Um, I went down there because I would I had uh, recommended a friend of mine for testing for his seven dan. All right. And, uh, you know, they knew that I was doing some stuff combining Shaolin with Kampo, and they were curious to see what I was up to. Right. So they said, could you come down and show us some of the things you're doing? I said, sure. Why not? Now, you know, wouldn't mind your input. Let's go. Right. So I went down there and supported my friend and to kind of show off a little bit. <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, what was supposed to be like sort of a 10 minute, 15 minute interview turned into a 15 minute interview with one of the key masters before the day before the test. And then on the day I was between you know, 13, 10th uh, level black belt guys. Right. All asked me questions and stuff in order. Right. You know, they all took turns hammering at me. And then I had to kind of explain to them the system. It took over you know, probably about 40 minutes to get through it. All right. Um, and at the end they're like on yeah, you keep working that. That's pretty cool, right? So, okay, thank you because I, you know, I was just kind of in the you know the beginning of doing that at the time, right? And now I've refined it quite a bit since, um, and that was a lot of fun. It was a, it was great fun to do, right? And especially you know in front of some of these guys who I recognize many of them as being early pioneers of the Kempo world, and I'm staying in front of these guys and I'm like, wow, you know, I'm actually here with you. That's kind of cool, right? Um, so you know, guys you look up to, and now you're kind of in the same ballpark as them. It's, you know, it's really neat to see. Um, then I just recently, uh, you know, just, you know, I did an examination with uh, Songshan Chen Wu for what they call level six, right? Uh, in their structure, this is a group that broke away from the Shaolin Temple in the early 90s because they felt the temple was getting a little commercialized, I guess, yeah. right? So they decided to maintain what they call old frame Shaolin Gong Fu. So stuff that had been taught pretty much from like the, you know, the turn of the 20th century till now, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I got involved with these guys, and uh, the, the head instructor Max in Montreal, he's a very good guy. You know, uh, he's good, a yeah, good instructor. We have a, lot, a very similar understanding of martial arts. So, uh, you know, during the pandemic, we're doing lots of training. We got together a few times, and uh, you know, you know, eventually turned to him one day and says, "You know what? You have all the material for level six. Oh. Uh, and I went, "Okay." And he goes, "Want to challenge it?" I said, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> so we did it, yeah. right? Uh, in their structure, there's only eight levels, right? Oh, okay. um, you know, they have the highest levels for their head guy, Shishing Hong. And, uh, you know, then there's like a whole bunch of se- you know sevens around the world. And then there's here. For here, there's only seven and two sixes in Canada, right? So I make number two. Yay. <laughs> um, you know, so, uh, but it was, you know, it wasn't really so much the positioning I cared about. It was more about just the fact that it had been a long time since I just gone up and just done a overtly physical test. Yeah. Right. I just want to make, you know, and, and so I went in there and just had a blast, had a hoot, just went full tilt. Yeah, let's go for it. Right. Just took off the chains of being a teacher and bah, back to student again. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so and I, mean, I don't think I've always left. Uh, I don't think I've ever really left being a student. Yeah. But some, you know, I spend obviously more time teaching people than I end up having people teaching me that's what happens when you get up there you know the crowd becomes very thin you know yeah. uh you know like climbing climbing on adverse there's less air <laughs> you know 
So, but at the same time, you know, you, when you do get to step back down, you get to have even more fun. You go, <laughs> oh, good playtime. Yeah, I mean, definitely. That, I can I can relate to that because you know, well, I mean, yeah. I, I teach a lot of classes, but at the same time, I still want to take classes. I mean, even though I I don't have the test test physically, I still want to at least show my um style that I could still go. Yep. I mean, I'm not retired. I mean, I would still want to learn. Yeah. Yeah, it's important that, you know, instructors not get too caught up with being instructors, you know, all the time. I mean, yes, the higher you go, the harder it is to escape that. But uh, at the same time, you know, if you're not, you know, not actively challenging yourself, right, you're missing out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. All right. So what would be your favorite moment like in martial arts? Like, is there a moment where you um, touch the student's heart? You know, when you see your, you, you kind of see yourself like that in that um, kid's eyes pretty much. Well, you know, I've I've seen it many times and many students hard to really nail one down because I've had a lot of great successes in the school, um, you know, but if I had to pick an immediate one, I'd have to say my, you know, watching my two kids go through it, just my own two kids, right? They started when they were five years old each, right? Now they're in their 20s, right? And they're fourth degree black belts respectively. Right. And uh, they're doing, you know, they've, you know, they've just started the internalization process, which is what I think for Dan is, it's the being, you know, where you should be, you know, sort of going from, you know, you're no longer just a student. Third Dan is last year's student ranks. Four Dan is your internalization period. And then five Dan is when you've achieved a certain degree of internalization. So you're able to form, you know, more ideas. Right. Um, so, you know, they are kind of in that phase right now and just watching them go through that four Dan thing and you know, kind of you know, watching how they learn to express the art in their own way. Right. Uh, not just following my dictates, my teachings or the teachings of, you know, other people I've involved with them, but watching them formulate their own concept uh, and understanding of that very same teaching and then expressing it. All right. It's really cool to watch. So, you know, you know, I really enjoy that. But I also enjoy the success of all my students because everyone grows in their own way. Right. You know, so I can't pick any one particular thing because they all have done something cool with their training. You know, and knowing that I had a, heart, a hand to play in that is also very cool. Yep. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> It's always good to at least um, touch that student's heart. And then next year, one day you like, you see him all grown up and then he's like, it's like, yep. it's like, you see him. It's like, Hey, I was your former instructor. You remember me? And then he's like, yeah, yeah. I yeah. Mean, yeah. And now I'm teaching because we've become a generational school, right? I'm now teaching their kids. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Actually, to be more clear, my uh, my current instructors underneath of me are teaching their kids. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but it's still involved with me. So, and that's really cool too. I even got some uh, you know cases where I have the, the my original student you know, training with me and their kid training with my junior instructors. Right. So, you know, and then eventually they'll match up at some point. Oh man, awesome! I mean, yeah. this is definitely amazing stories that are that you're telling. It's like really, it's like I can see myself doing it all over again, just with how I started. <laughs> I, well, that's martial arts is about the journey, you know. Yeah. It's, it's always about the journey. Right? Yeah. So, all right. So, speaking of the stirring of this podcast, we reached our um hidden dojo on um, part of the podcast, and this is where I'm gonna ask a series of questions. This is almost like toward a pop culture. All right. So, usually the first question I usually ask is, "What's the best advice you ever gotten?" <sighs> well, that goes on many layers, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. On the business, on the business end, the best advice I ever gotten was uh, when I was trying to decide whether I wanted to go with a billing company or not. Right. And it formulated my decision making for the rest of my professional career. And as uh, you know, when I was expecting some kind of, well, you know, the pros and cons of this are. Um, instead, he just said, you know, the instructor asked me, "Well, that all depends on what you want the relationship with your students to be." Right. So whenever you're making the decision about anything in your school, right, whether it be a, a, you know, a curriculum change or a policy change or a culture change, you have to ask yourself, what do you want your, uh, the relationship with your students to become? Right. And, yeah. you know, do you, how will it impact the relationship you've already established? 
right? Not to say you shouldn't make the change, but you understand, right, that everything we do because of the very personal nature of martial arts is you get higher up, you get closer to the teacher, right? So that relationship you form is going to go through evolutions, yes, but it's also going to be guided along a certain path. If you alter that path, it might also change that relationship a little bit with that person if you don't manage it the right way. So that, that was a very useful and very simple Zen piece of advice I picked up a long time ago, <laughs> right? Yep. Yeah. So that's in the professional side. Martially, I mean, there's too many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you only can yeah. pick one like best advice. Yeah. And yeah. it almost, almost speak, it goes to, to uh, it also comes to my um, next question. Um, of course, I'm, you're probably not going to come up with an answer with this, but the worst advice you've got. Um, well, let's see. Worst advice. Uh, okay. Worst advice I, I got, and again, it comes down to business, right? Yeah. Um, you know, usually the better, the best and worst decisions always come down to how you manage the business of the school. All right. The worst advice I ever got was uh, to, and I can, uh, I'm probably, sorry, might be uh, singling myself out here a little bit, but um, a thing where you charge your students 20% up front so they can lower their monthly balance, right? Mm. Uh, that's one, right? Yeah. Another, you know, it's like, I get it. You want to get paid faster, but yeah. you know, at the same time, you don't want to give up your monthly you know, balances. I understand that. But at the same time, you know, uh, it it just, I, I, for where I am, it doesn't work. Right. Yeah. Where I was, it wasn't. If I tr I tried to implement it, it almost sunk me. So I had to flip back to my, you know, I had to go back to what really did work, Mary. And I think the best the best advice I can give somebody is, don't let all these business gurus tell you how to run your school. You can go to them for advice and see what they have to say. Don't listen to them unless you feel that that advice actually has relevance to you in your area. Take no. what they learn and do the, and Bruce Lee the information, right? Take what works and keep it and shelve the rest in the, until either yeah. it's useless or, or gains relevance later. Right. You know, but don't just, you know, do what someone tells you just because, Right. Yeah. You know, um, never get into a situation. This is the bad advice, uh, you know, the worst advice I've ever heard in business of martial arts. Never get into a situation where you're charging multi-year memberships up front and holding, uh, having a third-party company holding paper on it. That's oh, like saying, boy. If, I, if I close my business, you're still paying for it, and I got your money, right? I mean, that's just the worst. Oh man, right? that's robbery. It is. <laughs> and when I was pitched that idea, on, you know, at, on how to run a school, I looked at that person and said, "Dude." I'm going to say to you right now, thank you very much for your time. Goodbye. And I hope you don't get arrested. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. Uh, all right. Next question. Um, how would you reward yourself? I kind of call this the guilty pleasure. How would I award myself? Yeah. I'm not sure I understand the context. I mean, usually like um, say most people are like on a healthy diet. And then they say they kind of slip in a pizza, uh, slice of pizza or ice cream or like pretty much like that. Um, well, I mean, you, you can't be, you know, uh, you can't be stoic all the time. Yeah. Right. You we're human beings. Right. Yeah. There are moments where we like to pat ourselves on the back. Right. Um, it's OK to pat yourself on the back once in a while. Yeah. If you know you did something well and did something right, then, yeah. you know, it's OK to acknowledge that you did something right. You know, and I've done things that are right. And at the same time, I also feel necessary to acknowledge what we did wrong. Right. Yeah. And there's things we do wrong all the time. Cause we're people. The idea here is that, you know, it's OK to reward yourself and it's OK to reprimand yourself right but don't get hung up on those ideas yeah right you know if you anticipate too much you'll get you know, get anxious right and yeah. if you are you know, regretful right then you're you know then you're going to be depressed right so to maintain a state of you know, of happiness and balance in life it's best to acknowledge the comings and goings of these things but realize that they're just steps on the path of growth so um you know I will say that I've done a lot, you know, if I do something really good, I'll, I'll feel good about that. I'll say, yeah, I did good today, right? Tomorrow's a new day. I'll, yep. I won't, I won't be riding that wave tomorrow because I'll be looking for the next thing I have to do. Yeah. I understand. <laughs> yeah. 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 I understand that, you know, as a, um, say, I, you know, I have another name, uh, Xi'an Feng, right? Yan Feng is the name given to me by the Shaolin temple. I'm a disciple of the head abbot of the temple. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, so as a practicing Buddhist, right, you know, I'm constantly not trying to take an extreme of every, of anything, right? <laughs> uh, so yeah, right. I'm always mindful of, or at least trying to be mindful. That's the discipline, right? Okay. It's, it doesn't always work, um, but we try to be mindful of the fact that we are human and we err and yep. we succeed, right? Don't get, you know, you know, and then at the same time, we have to remind ourselves to not allow those successes or failures to become defining moments that hold us in that moment. <clears throat> you know? Yeah. yeah, definitely. It's like a lot of people are like, don't know when to like understand that nobody's undefeated. I mean, we have to win that we have to lose, but we have to, we just move forward and um, go to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, next question. Uh, what famous movie would you like to be in? Like any type of movie. <laughs> I've already been in a couple. Oh. Um, <laughs> so, but, uh, oh, I don't know. I mean, I was in Total Recall with uh, Colin Farrell. Right? Oh, um, yeah, I've seen that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I, I was one of the robots. Oh man, I got I got to find that I got to find um that part you were in like oh like you what? wouldn't you wouldn't I don't have a casting uh you know list in there because it's special skills extra right oh, okay so, I got you you know they hire guys who are specialized in firearms and martial arts and military and stuff like that so they play these roles so that they can be consistent um you know and so I was in there I was also a border guard but my entire scene uh like you know the scene where they have the woman changing her heads and it's him yeah. Right? Um, I was actually in that scene, but they filmed it in two different sections of Toronto, right? Because they weren't sure oh. which one was going to work better, right? And the part of Toronto I was in got cut. Oh. Right? So, but my robot scenes got in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, otherwise, you would have seen my bald dome sitting there and staring down Colin this far away. Right? Oh, boy. So, <laughs> you know, uh, he's a good guy. I talked to him. He's, you know, all, this, all this, uh, the, the extras are like, don't talk to the talents. Like, I'm here for a day. I'm going to talk to him. Right. And he was, he was quite cool with it. Actually. I really enjoyed talking with him. He's a good guy. Uh, But you know, and I've, I did some uh, movies, uh, world war two movies with the CBC in Canada here. So, uh, you know, I I was good for that. Uh, I was in the military for a bunch of years. So yeah, I got me in those roles, but uh, who would I like to be in? Oh, geez. I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, Oh, I don't see myself as one of those super soldier type things, but, uh, you know, yeah, it's hard to say something funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something that's got humor to it. Yeah. I like Jackie Chan stuff. Maybe I could jump in with yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I say me, like I can, I, there's like a, like the nice side of me and there's could be like the action side of me. I could say Jackie Chan movies would be good for me. I'm, I like to be in the chat. You got a bit of both. Yeah. and comedy you know? yeah and you know? i usually tell yeah. people i'd like to be in a movie where the mar- oh, the other our martial arts actor does not have um an over inflated sense of himself right that's why i like about jackie chan even guys like donnie yen right now oh donnie like, yeah i would like to be in with donnie yen if i get a chance right because that guy you know he's a very humble guy i like him you mm. know there are some actors out there who you know, typecast themselves into this role and then they start believing their own press. And I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Move on. You know? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, probably the one movie I like to be in, I mean, call me crazy, but I like to be in Lion King. (laughs) Yeah. Good. Oh yeah. yeah. I can really fool somebody with the voice of James Earl Jones. I do a good James Earl Jones impersonation. Uh, Probably do a good Darth Vader then. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Don't do that calling your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Okay. Next question. Secret talents. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think I kind of gave up the goat on my secret talents earlier. Um, I am a practicing cartoonist, right? Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, working on putting together an anthology at the moment, it's going to take some time. Of course I need, uh, I'm shy a few a few panels. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I've been an active cartoonist, uh, since I was nine, right. And published in newspapers and magazines throughout Canada. Um, and, uh, originally that was supposed to be my career. I even had a, a bit, a job for a little while with uh, Buster Brown shoe company in New York. Mm-hmm. My dad used to draw, uh, car- uh, comics and cartoon characters for Bata shoes. 
right? And in fact, uh, if anyone knows the Bubblegummer series, I'm actually one of the three characters that my oh. dad draws. Oh, right. So yeah. So I mean, art, like I said, art's been around my whole family. So yes. Um, but if you, you guys check out my Facebook thing there, you'll see that I have a little uh, strip I came up with called Kung Foolery. Yep. Right. Uh, you know, Kung Fu being, you know, the skill through time and effort and uh, foolery being the absurdness of which we exist in our lives. Right. And that we encounter our lives. Right. It's kind of the study of, you know, uh, you know, of the absurdity of life. Right. So I just come up with little ideas and things. Uh, one of the recent ones I put up was, uh, you know, if our knees bent the other way, what would a chair look like? Yeah. You know, <laughs> so uh, still little quips and things like that. Uh, you know, so if you got anyone who wants to check that out, that's fine. They can do that and see some Kung Foolery. Um, I, I do fiddle with the guitar a little bit. I'm no good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I try and I study Mandarin. Uh, oh. Four four years into Mandarin, trying to understand that language. Um, you know, I I live with a, my wife's Korean. I train Chinese and Japanese martial arts, and it's, you know, the Chinese language that somehow just came easiest to me. Right? It's weird. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. I guess like learning another language is like you have to be like uh, really committed to learning it. I mean, I, w- I want to try and learn Japanese. But I know that's going to be a tough tough mm-hmm. deal, but you know, it'd be nice to learn a little bit. Yeah. I know I know enough to teach a class in it uh, and, hold, and I to ask basic questions of the senseis and all, but uh, you know to have a conversation I'd be lost for sure. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know Chinese, so I'm I'm actually getting better at the conversational side of it, and mm. uh, you know, oddly enough, not as good giving the commands in class in it. <laughs> but that'll yeah. come. That'll come. Right. Uh, you know, because uh, sometimes you know, you know with Chinese you run into even more so than with Japanese Korean you run into regional dialects. And they just it fluctuates. It's very fluid language, you know. Yeah. You, know, you could say something this way with this pronunciation here, with this slight, you know, all the tones are same, and you know, in Mandarin, but where, wherever you go, but the inflection or, you know, that they place on it will be different from here to there. It's like if you know, say for example, um, taking a guy from you know, say you know, the South, right, and putting him against a guy from say Boston. You know, right? You know, uh, I think where is it? Is it like uh, you know, like Louisiana, Georgia, where they kind of get into that little southern drawl kind of thing, yeah. right? And then you go you know, take the guy from Boston or New York, and they're like, get in a car, right? You know, and then yeah. compare the two. It's like that. Yeah. Right? And then, of course, each one feels obligated to correct you on your pronunciation. So you think you're saying it right according to Beijing, but then they say, no, 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 it's like this. I'm like, wait a minute, where are you from? Aren't you from Qingdao? Okay, fine, I understand. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, you're from Xi'an. Okay, good. Shangxi Province says it like this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I can. I definitely can relate to the drawing part of because uh, you know I used to draw too. I mean, I wish I'd get back to it. I mean, I went to school to uh, get a degree in um, fine arts, and uh, but you know, it's going to be a time where I get back to drawing, and I, I miss doing it. It's like I just got so busy with everything, and you know, I just kind of lost like interest in doing drawing but you know mm. i definitely like to get back to it because i have that creative ability too yeah nothing starts drawing like drawing a picture right you know it, yeah. you just have to, it, drawing it in art is much like martial arts it's zen right it's a discipline it's but it's also a creative roaming of the mind that we need it's an outlet right so you know if you have the ability to draw and you know, and you find you know need a meditation, and you're not good at sitting around humming chants, right? Then drawing is a meditation, right? Just like your forms are a meditation. It's the yeah. same. You enter that same state. Hours will pass, and you'll be doing this design, right? And you know something wonderful will come out of it, and you look at the time and go, "Whoa, hey!" <laughs> and you feel refreshed afterwards. When it's all done, you feel refreshed because look what I just did. Ah, you pin that up, and then you go to the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next question. Of course, you already um, told you already met a celebrity doing um filming. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I met would, quite a few. Yeah. Yeah. So, what would be your dream um, celebrity encounter? Like someone you haven't met oh, yet. Someone I haven't met yet. Okay. Uh, I really would have liked to have met George Carlin, but he's dead. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I guess Donnie Yen would have to be because I really would like to touch base with that guy. Yeah. You know. Um, you know, he's definitely a guy that I th- feel I would have a good time with. And that, you know, he definitely seems to appreciate tea. I'm a bit of a tea nut. <laughs> so, you know, I like to share tea with people. I actually <laughs> learned the Chinese tea ceremony. So when I have, you know, for, you know, discussion meetings with my students, we have a tea ceremony. Oh, you know? okay. 
yeah, it's fine. You get the shared, you know, you can have all different types of tea and we just kind of show them how to do it. I got hooked on these things when I went, uh, over my many trips to China. I always go to the tea shops and do the tea ceremonies. Yeah. <laughs> Even though they're for tourists, I don't care. I like the tea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. well, well I've kind of got started um, drinking green teas, like, you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, I'm trying to get away from all of them sugary drinks, like all I'll that. Yeah. If you want a good one, uh, my personal favorite is a uh, branch of oolong tea, which is called uh, uh, tea guanyin, right? Now, tea, uh, tea guanyin is more, I think it's more like a spring to summer tea, but it still tastes pretty good in the winter, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, well, definitely my celebrity um, encounter would be Jackie Chan. I mean, I would like mm, to meet him. Of course. Yeah. Now, yeah, I, I, that would be a good a good one for me as well, because like I said, I wouldn't, wouldn't mind appearing with the guy, right? Uh, but, you know, just... To say hi and say, hey, good work. Yeah. No. <laughs> right. So I, I do enjoy actors that don't take themselves too seriously. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's why I used to just get to go to these comic cons, you know. Definitely when the, the before the pandemic struck, you know, I see all these celebrities, you know. I just don't want to treat them like they are like like they just like um they have a lot of money. I just treat them like regular people. Yeah. It's like that's what they're oh. pretty much well, that's the key. That, and, you know, there's uh, – I don't know if you're familiar with the martial artist Fred Valari, right? But, now, Fred Valari is a personality, right? He's a really strong, charismatic individual. And uh, every – you know, you can't – when – I know a lot of people rip him, but when you stand in front of him, you can't help but like the guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, I recognize that, you know, Valari was oddly distant with a lot of the people. I mean, he was polite and stuff, but he kept a barrier, right? Where, you know, for all the people that kind of groveled and scraped, oh, Master Valari, you know, bow, bow, oh, you know, kind of, you know, did the kowtow. And, you know, he was very polite and respectful of everybody, but, you know, kept the barrier. The ones that got closest to him were the ones who went, hey, Mr. Valari, how are you doing? Nice to meet you, right? Just like you would anyone else. Yeah. Right? He seemed to respect people that respected him as a person, not just as you know the great martial artist Fred Valari, right? And so that got me to thinking about other actors and you know prominent people as well. I'm like, you know what? I bet you they're about the same thing, right? And sure enough, I was right because when I met guys like you know Dan Aykroyd, Robin Williams, I actually sparred Dan Aykroyd. Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, and uh, uh, there was uh, you know who else? Um, Jeez, he was in the D up with me. Uh, I'll come back to me on that one. But I met a whole bunch of guys. That, so I said, I met Rob Williams. I met uh, with him. Jeez, uh, I really want to mention this guy's name. Excuse me a moment. But I, you know, I met all these guys. And, you know, the thing is, you know, that's why I can talk to them. You shake their hands. You say yeah. hi. Right? Treat them like a person. Don't treat them like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm meeting. <laughs> you know, yeah. you see that all the time. You know, they just want to be known as people. You know? So... Yeah. Same thing, you know, same with Colin, right? You know, you say, Colin, how's it going? You know, I asked him, you know, what, you know, because we were going back to first position so many times. Like, it must have been like 18 times we went back to first positions during this one shoot, right? And, you know, he, I said, what's the worst movie you ever had for first positions? And he has, he totally engaged in the conversation. Boom. Oh, God, I have to tell you, right? It was, you know, I was playing Deadshot and, you know, in the Daredevil movie, right? Oh, yeah. Right. And I said, why is that? I said, well, first off, the weather wasn't working. The patch on his head with the bulls, I think, falling off, right? (laughs) And they couldn't just get the angles right. The lights were gleaming off everything the wrong way. The ground was wet from, you know, from water, right? So, you know, he just gave me this litany of reasons why this film wasn't working for him. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And it was just great to, you know, to hear him talk. You know, so yeah, I think, and that you know, all that is reflectful upon myself. It's like, okay, if I ever make it that big, right? You know, then you know that's a reminder. You know, keep it real. Yeah. You know, just keep it real. You know? <laughs> be respectful for people and yeah. keep it real. You know, everybody's a person. Yeah, so, yeah, cool. And Chuck Norris. I mean, he's uh, he's a wonderful guy too. Yeah. yeah. I'd go and shake that man's hand, and say thank you for everything, man. You're awesome. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And here's a beer. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm assuming he's a beer guy. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen drink a beer, but you know, I was like, I know him. He's like real approachable, but you know, you have to give him his space. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to smother the guy. Oh, can I have your autograph? <laughs> yeah, no, I got I got too many of his autographs. He, oh, he's definitely yeah. signed my black belt certificate, so that, that's enough autographs for me. Very good. Yeah, yeah. that's nice. All right, um, ten years from now, where do you see yourself? 
Oh, I uh, well, hopefully, uh, with a, you know, with a few more you know locations than I have now, possibly, but uh, mostly doing the same thing, just getting better at you know maybe less time on the floor, you know, managing stuff, more time uh, overseeing the people who are managing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, closing in on 50. So uh, next, actually, this will be my 50th year. So oh. uh, yeah, so you know, uh, you know, being on this, you know, one you know, roaming ball in space. So um, yeah, you know, so at a certain point, you know, you want to kind of step away from the daily grind and just kind of nudge the daily grind. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so that, yeah. So by the time I hit 60, yeah, I should be, do, you know, probably doing less than nudging. I should have other people doing nudging for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so and I, I'm, I just turn up and go, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm about I'm about 14 years away from 50, so yeah, though. Uh, so yeah. there you go. I got a lot of time. I got time. Uh, all right, bonus question: favorite technique? <laughs> the one that works and the one that no one else can see. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, you could say, you know, oh, I love, I favor the roundhouse kick. Yeah, but you know that can be beaten. Oh, yeah. I favor this type of throw, that type of throw. Yeah, that can be beaten, right? Uh, I think a better question is from favorite technique rather than would be what kind of techniques do you enjoy, right? So for me, yeah, I really enjoy throwing techniques. I like being thrown. I like doing throws, right? I really get off on throws, right? I love anything that takes another person down. Right? Do I like ground grappling? Eh, nah, yeah, you know, okay, it's, it's there, right? But for me, just the process of getting into that opportunity and putting the guy on the ground is fun. Yep. You know, so enjoyable, yes. Uh, is it the, sorry, the technique I would default to in a fight? No. Right? Um, there is no such thing, right? Because, you know, the, the fight, the situation determines what needs to happen. Yeah. You know, right? And if that, what needs to happen is me simply just saying, Phew, yeah, whatever, buddy. I'm out of here. Or if he's too late and he's already committed, then Zen has to take over, and that that is the moment that you move in. So whatever you do is what you got to do. So you can't say, "Well, my favorite thing to do is." Yeah. You know, uh, especially if people know that if that if you actually make that your favorite thing and practice that to be your favorite thing, that becomes your default action. So if someone figures that out, you're toast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's better, so it's better not to have a favorite thing, but it's good. It's nice to have, let's say, you know, what kind of practice do you enjoy the most? Yes. Mm-hmm. I enjoy my forms and I enjoy throwing people <laughs> and I enjoy being thrown, right? That's um, a very important component. I, I, you know, don't like being thrown. I love being thrown, you know, because it, it's boom, practice the break fall, practice escape, practice yeah. get the satemi in there. Yeah. I like that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, I definitely like to be thrown on me, but I like doing the rollouts. I mean, usually yeah. if I trip, I can catch myself and do a rollout because I'm mm-hmm. very quick about it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's all good. I, yeah. Can you think of a famous quote that um that you um that kind of motivates you? Mm. Well, one uh, one I've often given to my students is those who think about things are often passed by those doing them. You know, some people find that a little facetious and maybe slightly arrogant, but uh, the way I see it is that's absolutely true because, you know, how many people say, well, I'm thinking about doing this, I'm thinking about this, but they never really get it done. Or they start it, but I'm thinking about going this way with it, going thinking about going that way with it, but they never really get past that thinking stage, Yeah. right? You know, the three things of success, right? Think, uh, think uh, talk, do, right? Well, if you're still stuck in the thinking aspect and you haven't even got to the talking aspect, then you're never going to make it to the do aspect, right? And, you know, the person who does get past that point of those points is going to be the one who succeeds. So, you know, it's kind of a life maxim. Yeah. When I think about that, I think of me, you know, I was thinking about this um, podcast because uh, I went to a podcast con like years ago. You know, it's like I was want to see how what this, what this is all about. You know, I took a seminar and how to be a podcaster. And that's like. I thought this would be pretty hard, but it's like, it's nice and simple. You're just basically talking about what comes to mind. And, you know, then I was like thinking about it, get some ideas. And of course it went from going like the talk because, you know, I'm part of a podcast group. And then of course, and from there, here I am, have my own podcast right now. And I'm talking to you. Yeah, there you go. Test yeah. to the to the quote. Yeah. All right. So yeah. Say so good on you. Right. And that that in itself will also reflect uh, that energy that what you did here to you know uh, that same 
energy used to achieve that is going to be the same. It's going to get you to your five down. I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah. Right. So. <laughs> All right. So uh, before we kind of um, park the car and kind of get out, uh, what, is, what would be the last thing you like to tell listeners out there? Well, I mean, if they're new members or new martial artists, you know, um, stick to the path. I mean, mastery is often at times just staying on the path, right? You know, whether, wherever that path takes you, right. Maybe not necessarily a straight line, but just stay on that path and, you know, and, but don't let the path necessarily dictate what you do. You have to nudge it. You got to guide it. Just like you're sailing a ship, you got to point the bow in the right direction. Right. You know, you have to have an idea where you want to be, you know, but stay on the path. Right. I had no idea that I was going to be able to achieve what I did when I was much younger. Right. I, I knew I wanted to be a martial arts instructor since I was 14. Had no idea I was going to get there. I went through, you know, careers in, uh, you know, food industry to, uh, you, know, uh, you know, landscaping to, you know, law enforcement, the military, and then finally I ended up, boom, suddenly martial arts was there. But, you know, throughout all those zigzags I had to do, um, I always had my mind and my heart set on one day becoming a martial arts instructor. And then just at one point, all the pieces came together, and I realized that everything I did was there to set me up for that, right? And when I went off to go, boom, I was just running. So for 26, this will be 27 years now, I've been running my school. You know, and it's just been growing and evolving. I'm still growing and evolving it because now, I, you know, once I, each time I achieved one of those landmarks, I just set another one further ahead. It's one of the reasons uh, why I feel we have the belt system in the, yeah. uh, the correction. I, the belt system only started in like 1947, basically, right? And they're not this ancient thing, right? The belt systems are there uh, because we want to set a big goal. To the uh, to the black belt. This is for the students, right? Yeah. For teachers, I have a different uh, you know reason, right? The, here's the gold black belt. Now, when you're a white belt, you don't see this goal very clearly. You just go, wow, that's kind of far off, right? Yeah. But we have all these other degrees in the middle, right? So you set your uh, first goal for like say three belts ahead, right? And okay, little mini goals in between. Deet, 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 boom. Okay, achieve this. Now I'm intermediate. Deet, 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 deet. Okay, boom. Now in advanced. Deet, deet, deet. Okay, and as you get closer, that black belt becomes more and more a real thing. Right, and then when you get there, it's like, oh, jeez, what do I do now? Well, you set your goal in the fifth degree black belt, third, you know, second, third, fourth, all the way up. But then the distance between those goals gets longer because your discipline is now stronger. So you stay the path, right, and you achieve your next milestones until you hit the the big goal. And then what do you do? Oh crap, I got to set another goal. Yep. <laughs> you know, and it just keeps going like that. And when you get to there, it's like, well, okay, I guess I just define a new goal. You know? Yeah. The, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. You know, and then you just go through the process again, and again, stay in the path, you know, and sometimes it goes this way, sometimes it goes this way, doesn't matter. Take the path, guide it towards this one point. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's almost like building a house. I mean, you start off in the basement and then, of course, you want to make sure the base is strong before you go into the first first floor. So that's usually what I tell my students, like that's that's your that's the start of your journey to build a house. You got to make sure you have a good base. So if that yeah. base is not strong, you know what happens to the house. It falls. Yeah. And unless you build an elevator, you ain't going straight up. You got to walk stairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. All right. So. Okay. Uh, thank you very much for joining me, Tim. Um, it was a great yeah. conversation. And um, of course, um, listeners will definitely be um, have their ears open to this journey. And hopefully they'll um, learn from this as well as anything else. Hey. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> you know, yeah, if, if if anyone benefits from anything I say, then cool. I'm happy to contribute. All right. Okay. For those who are just tuning into the my new podcast, uh, um, tune into my previous episodes on the BICBPRadio.com, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another episode here at the KickPod Dojo. This is your host, TJ Williams, bowing you out. All right. Awesome. Yeah, cool. All right. Cool. I'll run that one.